Okay, let's um, start with prayer and then we'll, we'll turn to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for today, for being with us. Thank you for everyone able to be here tonight. Most of all, Lord, we pray for your clear presence. That is always what we need most. And shine light on your word that we might understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 3, I think I could say, is probably the most um, extensive, there's the most extensive information about the widest number of doctrines or teachings of any chapter in the Bible. We learn here, we're introduced to the idea and the person of a tempter. Um, we are <clears throat> introduced to his strategies, how he tempts, his, which we need to know. Um, we are <clears throat> introduced to free moral agents and how they are approached and what they may do uh, with their will regarding God's commandments. We, we know something about God and what he will allow in a free moral agent. Um, we learn about what sin immediately does to the human thinking and the human heart because we see the attitudes from Adam and Eve now that they were infected with sin. We learn about the very beginnings of redemption. We learn about what's called prevenient grace, which is God striking out after us to bring us back to him. Um, we learn, at least uh, in a very initial way, about the sacrificial system, um, which is reflected in the book of Hebrews. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And that's in the third chapter. So this is a packed chapter. Uh, further, also, we have the um, judgments meted out by God against the serpent, Satan, Eve and Adam. Um, so at any rate, <clears throat> here's what I want to try to do. I hope it doesn't, it isn't a mistake. Um, I want to try, there's, that's an awful lot of material to get into, but I want to go through it um, fairly quickly and then give us a chance. Um, if you have any questions, any thoughts, any whatever, you know, remember it or write it down or something and we'll have enough time hopefully at the end to um, discuss stuff. Now if some if you have some you know burning question that you're sure you're going to forget uh, if you wait go ahead and raise your hand uh, we won't do anything to you. <clears throat> okay in 3 1 through 5 um, we'll read those 
verses first. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We'll quit there for a moment. This is the introduction to um, a supernatural tempter. Um, In this case, somehow through, through the person, if you want to say that, um, of a serpent. We know that this is referring to Satan from all the rest of Scripture. Even get clear to Revelation. talks about the old, the dragon, that old serpent from the garden. So we know that this is who we're dealing with here. And his strategy, I think, this is a template of what, how the devil works on us. This then teaches us how to recognize his, his ways. Paul said we're not ignorant of his strategies. We better not be ignorant. Um, and here's the thing we need to say about the devil. Um, he doesn't have very many new strategies or new lies the and there's no reason for him to change them they the ones he does have have worked so splendidly that there's no reason to change them okay so we need to know um, whose voice we're listening to first of all um, his question the way he put it was designed to raise suspicion Uh, framing it in such a way that he also um, really twisted it, um, focused on what they couldn't do rather than all that they could do, which is a um, strategy that he will use. And in misrepresenting it and in trying to, in the way he puts it, it, there's the implication of slander of God. That God's holding out something from them. He's hiding something from them. He hasn't told them the whole story. You don't know the whole story. Do you, do, do you know that such and such and such and such? I bet you didn't. So it, it is a... Um, all of it is, is ultimately attack, an attack on God's character and nature to us getting us to draw away from God, stop trusting in God, and thus he separates me from God. That's his whole goal. He can't get to God, but he, if he can get to God's crowning creation, which is us, he has some measure of, of um, you know, vengeance against God. Okay? <clears throat> Then once his question that was meant to engender some degree of, of 
suspicion. He moves on to the next. She answered him correctly. You know, she said, yeah, he, uh, no, you're not stating it correctly. He said, we could eat of everything except that tree. And then she threw in the commandment, if we do eat of that one, we'll die. Now he comes, now he, he's like he pulls back the mask. And now his next statement is not an implied one, kind of inferred. It's a blunt attack, straight out. You will not either die. God's lying to you. He's not telling you the truth. No, you won't die. Then he, after flatly contradicting God's commandment, he then um, tells them that God's warning is completely false. You will not die. He declares that there will be not only not death, not only will that not happen, in fact, there will be enhancement and advancement um, if you go ahead and eat of this. So he swings all the way from not only God's warning is fake, but here's what he's trying to deny you. If you'll eat of the tree, you'll be wise like God. You'll know good and evil. You'll be, you'll be increased. So this is actually good for you if you will put away from your mind this baseless warning that you got from God. In fact, th he's holding out on you. Then, <clears throat> because he knows what you will gain and he wants to deny that of you. Okay? Now there's a basic framework of how the devil approaches us and tempts us. It's always casting aspersions on God. God's nature, God's promises, His faithfulness, His wisdom. Will He really keep His word? Is He just, um, you know, is He just being um, using hyperbole? It's not going to be that bad. Um, it's okay if you do this. And of course, lump that together with a culture that has moved an awful long way um, in the last decades that actually tells us that it is psychologically damaging for us to deny ourselves. You know, that if we if we don't, it started with little kids, you know, if you, the Dr. Spock business, if you in any way curb that poor little child, um, you're damaging them. So let them tear the drywall off the walls, you know, because you don't want to in any way uh, damage their, their little um, ego. And so <clears throat> you, you have from all sides then, the notion that to deny myself is actually harmful. So you must go ahead and do it. It's almost not permission. It's almost a command. It's for the best if you go ahead and do whatever you want. Whatever's supposedly being withheld from you, you go ahead and do it. It'll help you. Um, <clears throat> so we know then that Eve looked at the tree in verse 6. No basis for 
at least two of the things it says she concluded. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. She has no basis for that whatsoever. She's not tasted it. She doesn't know anybody who has. There's only Adam and Eve here. Um, and so it is, it's total falsehood. It was delight to the eyes. That's, that will grant her. Yeah, it looked beautiful. Okay. Then the second falsehood. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She didn't have any basis for that other than the fact the devil told her. And she believed the devil instead of God. That's basically the whole story of making it to heaven or ending up in hell. Who do I believe? Who do I listen to? And who do I thus follow through with and obey? I believe God or I believe the devil. Okay? So, notice she saw it's good for food. Second, it's beautiful. Third, it'll make me wise. This lines up with the St. John's description in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, describing the values of the world. Love not the world, nor the things that are of the world. Then what does he say? The world is the lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. In that order, this is what she succumbed to. She looked at it, that's good for food. Now, here's, here's the problem. The, the desire for something tasty or enjoyable or pleasant or pleasurable is in and of itself not wrong. God put it there. The appreciation for beauty God put it there. And the desire to, for wisdom, for increase. Um, there's a huge amount, I think, in, that God put in the human heart, our being. Um, I guess, you know, you, there's a lot of different terms we could use. Curiosity, desire to find out, I'm just reading, I'm probably nuts, but I, I, I read probably too much um, South Pole stuff, okay? Um, I've read all of Shackleton stuff, and now I'm reading about the, it's a book that thick, and it's called um, the, worst, the Worst Journey in the World, okay? And it was written by one of the guys that survived the Scott Party in 1912 where half of them died, okay? Um, and they, they are miserable, beyond miserable. Just reading it, you, f you feel miserable for them. Wet, cold, 77 below uh, was the coldest. It would take them four hours to get up, get out of their sleeping bags that were always frozen because of th they were warm, but con you know, condensation. Um, reindeer skin bags, sleeping bags that were rotting, hair falling off. I mean, and, and they would write in their, their journals, their diaries. People would surely ask, and we ask ourselves, why would you endure this? What in the world are you doing down here? 
Um, you could be by the fire back in England. Their answer is, we want to find new stuff out. We don't know how penguins um, can hatch eggs. They, they're never on land. They're always on ice uh, or in the water. They lay an egg on the ice, put it on their feet. There's a flap of skin on their stomachs that they put over that egg and they incubate that egg in 50 below, 70 below weather until it hatches. And they wanted to find out about all that. They were trying to get eggs that they could get clear back to England and all kinds of stuff. Well, we may look at things like that and say, that's crazy. But the, unless the impulse for that is not crazy. God put that in there. Explorers took horrible chances and a lot of times died. I want to know, is the world flat or not? I think it's round. I'm going to get in a boat and I'm going to go one direction until <laughs> I either go off the edge or I find out it's really round. That God put within us. Without that, there wouldn't be you look at all of the medical advances and the technological advances, they may not all turn out to be used correctly, but the impulse to learn more and expand our knowledge, God put in there. So really, the, the desires that Eve expressed here were initially, in and of themselves, not wrong. Sin really is, because the devil technically, the devil doesn't have anything original. He can only warp and twist what God gave us. So, sin, one way we can look at sin, it is the satisfaction of a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. And illegitimate means going against God's commandment. We can't necessarily... <clears throat> blame the impulse itself because it's amoral but it's its use that and what our will puts it to that gets us into trouble okay so um eve reasoned with with inferior reasoning to god's it must be okay so she takes and she eats it and notice this what does she do after she eats it? She immediately gives it to someone else. Now in this case, there was only one other person living on the block, okay? Adam. But there's, there, this teaches us something about a sin-infected heart. It always seeks to bring others along. There is a certain missionary zeal to sin. Um, there's a lot of reasons for it. One of the greatest ones, I think, um, beyond just the diabolicalness of sin, which seeks to ensnare others, it makes, it, it, it goes some um, mileage in salving our own conscience if we can get a sufficient number of other people to do the same thing we're doing. Uh, then there's, a, there's sort of a, a swaging of our conscience. I'm not the only guy that's doing such and such. 
<clears throat> now, the result, the tragic result of that act, of both of them eating, was <clears throat> they lost immediately. They lost their innocence. They were overwhelmed with shame and recognized that they were naked. And here's the thing. Again, you just have Adam and Eve, their husband and wife, okay? There's, no, there's, there's not a lot of people around. There's nobody else around. So who are they sensing that they're naked before? It's not Adam or Eve. It's God. It's a sense of we've, we've been found out. And so what was their next move? Their next move was to attempt to cover, it, to cover themselves. This is, this is physical fig leaf covering, but it has nothing to do in the end with physical. This is a spiritual type, a spiritual metaphor and I've never heard of, read of, or met anybody who first seems to come up against the light of God as it shines on their heart, begins to expose, as Jesus said, people won't come to the light because it exposes their uh, sin. They don't want to be seen. Okay? I don't know anybody that doesn't first try upon discovering and sensing their own um, nakedness, they're uncovered, they're seen, they're, they're exposed, they're caught. I've never heard of anybody who doesn't first try home remedies, meaning I weave my own covering. I'm, I get fig leaves and I try to make, I try to cover myself. We'll address that in just a few verses. But everybody tries um, self righteous religion everybody tries it it's only when that fails dismally that usually we can be further than drawn to god to provide me the adequate covering the word cover is the same word for atonement and so really what we'll try to do is provide our own atonement but the sin-infected person cannot in any way come up with a covering for sin. They're sinful. It has to be an innocent, unsinful, outside atonement covering for me. So they immediately, um, it was a vain attempt to cover their nakedness, but they still, they tried it. Um, <clears throat> then, the next thing in 8 through 13, we learn how God, here's where I think we are clearly introduced to what's called prevenient grace. Now, prevenient grace, um, prevenient grace is a collection of acts and attitudes of God toward us as lost, separated rebels. And those, that collection of benefits from the Lord are free, and we properly use the word unconditional. 
we do nothing to receive them. There are some benefits of the atonement, forgiveness of sins, purifying of our hearts, eventually a home in heaven, that are totally conditional, meaning we meet the conditions aided by God, so it's not self, but aided by God, we meet the conditions of repentance and faith and obedience and so forth that brings us from being a lost, separated sinner to heading for heaven. Those benefits are conditional. These we're talking about are unconditional. It's God's totally free grace, and it's the grace of God that seeks to lead us to finally repenting, bowing the knee, and returning and being reconciled with our Maker who, against whom we have revolted. Okay? Um, one of those benefits, um, in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The Lord called to the man said to him, Where are you? He said, I've heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? We'll quit there for a moment. So, God came to them. That's grace. Had he not, they were finished. To this day, he is faithful to be the path to every human being's heart. If he wouldn't, we would be doomed. But through no merit of our own, no condition that we meet, he seeks us out first. That is one of the unconditional benefits of um, the grace of God. <clears throat> then, we're, here, here's a subtle result. They heard the sound of the Lord God. Even though they were sin-infected and they fell, they retained, only through grace, they retained the ability to recognize God's voice. Now we today often use the word conscience for that. But we, we know, we know it's an outside voice. And they, they knew that's God. The sad thing here, which you don't have time really to get into a lot of it, but it's very apparent that there was a portion of each day when God especially personally present came into the garden to fellowship with them. And it is, um, it says in the cool of the day, uh, I don't know what, the, I'm reading from the New American Standard. Um, and let's see, yeah, this says also the cool of the day. It, some versions refer to a kind of a breeze, but everyone acknowledges this is at the end of the day, not dusk yet, but at the end of the day, um, when things seem to quiet down um, and it cools a bit, it's comfortable, and it's that time God chose, apparently on a daily basis, to come and fellowship with them. What a privilege that they had, that they gave 
they gave up. But he showed up anyway. That's grace. And they retained the capacity to recognize his voice. That's grace. That makes them still reachable, salvageable. <clears throat> now, well, let me see here. I'll save a couple things for a minute. The Lord called to them. And notice there, there's at least four questions. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? And then specifically to Eve, what is this that you've done? These are all not in any way pleasant or fun or jovial. Uh, this is an interrogation, okay? Um, and he meant it to be that way. Um, it's the mercy of God. This might sound crazy, but it's the mercy of God that he reveals to whatever level his wrath toward us. These were not kindly questions. They were a prosecutor's pressing them. What'd you do? And of course, he already knew what they were doing. Here's the interesting thing, too. We learn about God from this. God already knew what they were doing. He knew everything. But he wanted to hear it come out of their mouths with a note of sincerity. He requires that we tell him what we did, even though he already knows what we did. But you will tell him, and you will tell him fully, or he won't fool with you. So he insisted. He gave them opportunity to respond to him. We learned then that <clears throat> while they retained their ability to recognize God's voice, um, and they knew they were naked, they felt shame, they were spiritually, um, though they weren't alive in the sense of having a relationship with God, that had just been broken. But they still retained, through grace, spiritual recognition that they were not right with God. They felt guilt and shame, and God didn't mind it. They poured it on them good. But we do also see an amazing um, and immediate degeneration of their spiritual and even temp um, psychological thinking because though they still retained the ability to recognize God's voice, they knew that they were guilty. They went and hid in the trees, thinking that, that would, they could escape God's presence and God's knowledge of where they were. So we see we retain as fallen uh, humans, we retain some abilities, but we are remarkably stunningly stupid <laughs> sin may, sin really is moral insanity it's completely insane and will act insanely that they knew this great god they knew what he had made 
Yet they thought if we get behind a fat enough tree, he won't know where we're at. I mean, that's just nuts. But it's typical of the um, mangled mess we are spiritually once sin infects us. <clears throat> now, um, let's finish up that section. <clears throat> when you get to the end of 11, who told you you were naked, have you eaten from the tree? Then you have a, the next section that starts with 12, which we could really say is kind of the, um, it's where God seeks and starts to confront them and interrogates them, okay? So here's the answers that, G, that the Lord got. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Okay, we just had that one verse on Adam. Now, what do we, what do we further learn about the effect of sin in a person's heart? There, and this is instant. I mean, this happened in the same day. Adam, who we know from chapter 2, when God brought him. Do you know what the Hebrew in chapter 2, and I'm not getting off subject here, but when God brought Eve to Adam. In chapter 2, we looked at it last week, it just says, now this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall call woman, because she's taken out of man. Okay, The Hebrew word could almost be, instead of now this, it could have just been, wow! That's what the Hebrew meaning is. I'm not a good whistler, but you know, the wolf was, that's, it was, whoa. That's what Adam, according to scripture, felt towards Eve when God presented her to him. We don't know how long between two and three, what kind of time went by. But now you have Adam, who immediately, now with love towards God and love towards Eve, turned back in on himself and loving himself supremely, throws her under the bus just as quick as he could. She's the one that gave it to me. And where did I get her? You gave her to me. So he's... He's, he thinks he's in good shape here. He's got two people to blame. God, it's your fault, and it's her fault. I didn't do it. Now, is that the picture of the human race or not? It experience completely corroborates the scripture. Little kid, and, and from from almost before kids can talk, they know how to blame somebody else. You know what I mean? That's because our hearts have become infected with excessive love of self. And so I never am wrong, I never do it. Even sometimes if people do admit it, it's only f to gain some advantage. It's still... I'm looking out for me. So God then turns to Eve. Woman, turn to woman. What is this you've done? 
And of course, again, she said, well, I deliberately disobeyed you, trampled underfoot your, your command, elevated my judgment above yours, and rebelled against your will. That what she said? Of course not. Oh, the devil made me do it. You know what I mean? Between Adam and Eve, it was the devil. It was, you know, my friends made me do it. I still, I don't want to get too off the subject here. I got caught. You, you need to know the home very briefly I grew up in. My dad was always, you know, you didn't have to wonder where he, what he thought. <clears throat> I ever catch you smoking? He says, you're going to eat the whole pack. He says, you'll eat it in front of me. Okay? Now, that was not very nuanced, you know. Catch, I can't remember exactly what the threat was, but you better not come home. I better never catch you drinking. Well, I come home one night, it's very late, and um, trying to sneak into the house. And I'd been at a party drinking. And my friend, uh, the guy that had brought me home, Steve, good friend of mine, he drops me off. I sneak into the house. I'm trying to close the door and everything. And it's dead black. I fear everybody's in bed, except my dad was sitting in the living room in pitch dark, and this voice comes out, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> the depths. <clears throat> Where you been? And so he gets up, he comes over, and another thing about at least my dad, he, he could smell alcohol or just about anything else 15 miles away. Uh, they talk, he'd have been a bloodhound. And he says, he says, I smell alcohol on you. You've been drinking. No, but Steve was. <laughs> that was my response. Brilliant. Just genius. And then he came back with a fairly obvious question. If Steve was drinking, how'd he get on your breath? <laughs> that was the, kind of the end of the conversation. This was the end of a long stretch some years of being far away from God and at least trying to stay under the radar and flouting the rules at home. He just told me, he says, get to bed. He says, we'll deal with you in the morning. <clears throat> I was just out of high school, um, just had graduated. And so the next morning, he was calm, but he just came down, woke me up, and he said, <clears throat> Um, I think it was about 8 o'clock. And scared my mom to death, but Dad told her, he said, hey, I prayed. I stayed up all night. Went down to the church, stayed up all night, prayed all night. I know what I'm doing. <clears throat> he said, you got till noon. He said, it's 8 o'clock. You got till noon to get right with God or you move out. Because there are four younger kids here. You're not going to influence them. And I'm not going to continue to... Uh, what was the word he used? Finance your delinquency. Okay? You're out. Now, I'm not advocating that that's always the best strategy, but in this case it was. Uh, I figured it hit me right because I'd been under the kind of conviction I think Adam and Eve were for years. And I knew this, I'd hit the end. I, this is crazy. Uh, can't keep living like this. 
so that confrontation and the, the clear, you know, seemingly hard, harsh approach was what I needed. And that was the day I got saved. And I, it was not because I wanted to stay home necessarily, because I knelt down by the side of my bed, read my Bible for a while, knelt down, told God he just helped me, and I'd never been so sorry in my life. Um, and I meant it, and I knew I meant it, and God knew I meant it. And that was a Friday, and I think it was a week later, I was moving out. But I was going off to a Bible college in Iowa, which got me away from all my friends. And I think the second day there, I met Liz. Um, now, the school didn't do me any good at all, frankly. I don't think. It was sort of a fly-by-night bunch. But um, it got me two things. Got me away from bad influence and um, met my future wife and put me on the road to getting in the ministry. Um, I'm grateful for... I'm grateful for a God through godly parents who didn't handle me with kid gloves. And God didn't do it with Adam and Eve. He isn't done with them yet. Because <clears throat> after he begins to pass the judgment here, he doesn't pass it until he hears from all of them. Then he says to um, Eve, serpent, serpent deceived me and I ate. And then, so the Lord speaks to the serpent. Now you might think, well, we can skip this part. We can't. The Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, there is a word you don't have to remember but it's called proto-evangelium, okay? It's Latin for basically the first, the, the first speaking of the gospel. Because if you look at this, we don't see it here unless we know the New Testament. But he says to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now the word um, her seed, that word seed is singular, not plural. The devil's seed are wicked people. The woman's seed is singular, not the man's seed. This is the first hint of the virgin birth. We see that through the light of the New Testament. But it's the first um, shining of light of a coming Redeemer who will, and the word here is bruise, but the Hebrew word is crush. You will hurt him on the heel. In other words, in his human flesh, he will suffer physically. But in doing so and rising from the dead, he will smash your head. There's the first prophecy, really, of the coming of Jesus through the woman, not through the man. 
the virgin birth. Now, to the woman, he said, and I think, um, well, 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain. This is New American Standard. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, there is in NASB, there is a footnote. Um, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, that the word in here can also be read and. I'll multiply your pain, your sorrow in general, and your frequency of bearing children. Okay? Now, the King James uses the word and. I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and thy conception. I think that's an accurate translation. And you have now a case where um, childbearing is in a, in a world where there was no death, you're not going to even have the capacity to, to bear children as frequently. But now that we have a dying world that can, has to be because he told them to multiply and so forth, now you've got to have an increase in the frequency in which you can bear children. Okay? So I think that's an accurate reading. I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. Okay? Um, <clears throat> And it would be, he says, in pain you'll bring forth children. And then notice this. Your desire will be for your husband. You'll be, in a sense, needy. Um, and th notice the alternative, too. And he will rule over you. Taking advantage of that demotion and of that need for him as protector, provider, and so forth. He will rule over you. Okay? Now, I don't think there's any evidence in the first two chapters, um, or even this part of three, that Adam and Eve, while Adam was created first, we know all that, but that they were essentially equal. But this was... For, as punishment for her initiation of this fall. Um, there's a demotion here in her standing, not in her value. Women are, God died to save women as much as anybody else. But in this now fallen world, the hierarchy is different. And women will pay for it. They, they suffer under it, okay? Um, just, I'll just say recently, you don't know how much, how, what recently means. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of times before that, but just recently reminded again. 
of the situation with um, you with women who are a husband goes off the rails, she's got two or three kids, and he's, you know, going to be Tom catting around, and what does she do? What does she do? She's in, and in our society, it's probably better than 99% of the other countries in the world. Um, she needs someone as a provider. And this guy's not going to do it. What do you do? Um, we all know the statistics about um, that women are far worse off in divorces than men are. Uh, and, and we're in a mess. Obviously, this is not a bombshell. Sin has made this world a mess. Okay? <clears throat> I was having an uplifting, encouraging discussion with Liz this morning about how I flat can't believe the change in the ministry in what next next um, next spring Palm Sunday will conclude 50 years I've been in the pastorate I wish I could get across to you and I know I can't the kinds of things I dealt with back then and the stuff I deal with today, the masses I can't believe today. And I was talking to her about how, man, alive. I just, first of all, back then, you know, if you were unfaithful, it was somebody of the opposite sex. <laughs> that was a little different, you know. I mean, things have just, but we're a mess. Sin creates a hopeless, tangled mess. And only God can straighten it out. And the frustrating thing is that I don't care how bad it is, and I mean that. There's going to be consequences a lot of times people have to put up with. But I don't care how bad things are. If two people will both let God work, there's nothing he can't fix. Absolutely nothing that he can't fix. There's no wounds he can't heal. Um, but it seems like it's virtually impossible to get people on the same page at the same time wanting the same thing. Anyway, so this was Eve's, um, then Adam. <clears throat> because you listen to the voice of your wife, ate of the tree. Um, Cursed is the ground, verse 17. Because of you, in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles that shall grow for you, you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, those, that's the judgment that he pronounced on the serpent, on Eve, and on Adam. We can see that in reality today. Then notice this. In 20, now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Now I'm not, um, I'm not looking real hard for something positive in this chapter because it's a pretty dark chapter. But there's actually something, in a sense, positive here. They, they didn't have any children yet. We know that. 
But somehow, God conveyed enough in his conversations with them, even though they were judging, that you're not going to perish. I'm going to keep you alive. You're going to be bearing an awful lot of suffering. But he said, I'm going to name her Eve. She's the mother of all living. Well, she wasn't a mother yet. What does that mean? He's anticipating a future. He's anticipating. um, He didn't know how long, but he knew the race will continue. We'll have children. So somehow, even in the darkest time, God conveyed some hope, and then he followed it up with verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Okay? Now, there is a second, plus verse 15, there's a second huge um, indication of salvation and how it is achieved. It also tells us God never deviated from the penalty for sin. You will die, both physically and spiritually. When Adam and Eve ate of the garden, or ate of the tree of the garden they were not supposed to eat, we need to remember this. They died spiritually instantly. Their relationship with God was severed. He even says to them, if you eat of this, dying, you will die. Okay? Dying spiritually, you will eventually die physically. Now, uh, Adam lived 930 years. Was it 930 or 950? can't remember. One of the two. But it says, and he died. But he died spiritually the day he ate. Now, God provided them a way to be made alive again spiritually, and here it is in verse 21. He gave them skins. This is God's covering. Earlier in the chapter, they tried to make their own out of fig leaves. doesn't work. God provided them a true covering, which again, remember the word atonement. But what, what is clearly implied here, someone who didn't deserve to die, died to provide them atonement slash covering. There's another indication of the whole sacrificial system. By the time we get into the, just the next chapter, Abel and Cain clearly had knowledge of a sacrificial system that involved um, blood offering for sin, thank offerings for crops and stuff, already fairly sophisticated. So this, this also teaches us that the penalty for sin is never going to change. It is death. And the only way out of it is an innocent victim dies in my behalf and in my place to provide me covering. In this case, and for thousands of years, it's an animal. But it culminates in verse 15, the seed of the woman being bruised, uh, but rising from the dead. Okay. Um, I think we're, I think I'm about done. Um, <clears throat> the last thing. It, I think it's interesting here that um, then you have the Lord God, here's another reference to the plurality, the Trinity. 
Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, and then in every single version it's just a long line. It's an unfinished sentence. It's an unthinkable thought, basically, to God, that they, being now in this desperately depraved condition, would still have access to the tree of life and would live on forever in that condition. So he said, no, we notice here in 23 then, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Sent out, then 24. So he drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim. Cherubim, um, I, uh, the, the, ending, the ending of a word, I am, is plural. It would be cherub if it was one. So cherubim is a bunch of them, okay? We're not sure, you know, but angels. Um, and he stationed them with a flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. They were unable to access the tree of life, and they died. This was apparently something that they ate of daily, and that would restore them completely each day, and as long as they had the access to that, they would live physically. Um, the tree of life appears again in the book of Revelation in heaven, <clears throat> and it's once again there. But he drove them out. Um, it, it implies they didn't want to leave. But they had to. God's laws. You know, I was thinking, we, see, we hear a lot today, we want justice. You know what? That could be the dumbest thing we could say. Um, especially if we're saying it about ourselves. Let's hope to high heaven we don't get justice at least as God's concerned, I want mercy. <laughs> um, yes, God is always just. He will be in the end. But I want him to be merciful. That's what grace is all about. He restrains and, and um, forestalls judgment. Mercy rejoices against judgment, the Old Testament says. I'm glad for that. Dark chapter. Now, um, we, we won't take all the time that we still have left before the kids get loose. Um, <clears throat> but comments, thoughts, questions from anybody. This is all. I was going to say it was just so clear apparently that. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Coincidentally, I never understood what Eve, when she's 
That's a good question. It's usually believed, and I think it's reasonable, that um, if she wasn't present when God gave the commandment, then she obviously had to have it uh, been relayed to her from Adam. And it could be that Adam, to drive home the point, um, you know, made sure, don't touch it. It might have helped if he'd have said, and don't be hanging around it. Yeah. Well, that brings up a whole other thing that I. I <laughs> we better just. Well, let me escape before we dismiss. Um, a woman, and, and I think a man too, to a woman, but someone we love, and in the right way, I mean this, can't live without is the best avenue through whom Satan can get to us. Okay? Now, I don't have any question. I don't even need to check my records. If I go back through my whole pastorate, the number one, far and away, way that God got to young kids growing up in our youth group, graduating, getting into college, was they'd come home for, for Christmas, you know, and I'm, I am nicer than I sound sometimes, dragging some galoot of a guy that they just met at college, and he, you know, and he's got hair down front, and I'm thinking, what in the world? But the minute you say anything, and I, I've, I can't tell you how many times I have warned, warned people, don't get hooked up with that guy or that girl. And they do. And then they live to regret it. And then months, maybe even years, I have scenes in my mind of people who I've warned, paid no attention to it. I'm sitting in my office and they are going through boxes of Kleenex. I'm supposed to fix now the stupid mess that they got into because they wouldn't listen to me. Who was speaking, I know, for God. He'd already been talking to them. They would admit it. Yeah, I know. So, the devil is not stupid and he is always... Um, he was smarter than to go to Adam first. And he knew if he could get to Eve, he ha he'd get Adam. So, th that's another strategy that I would say there's absolutely no point in the devil changing because it works so good um, and it still works today. So, if I were him, I wouldn't change it. Other thoughts, questions, <laughs> if you're not afraid to ask them? <clears throat> Michael, that's good. I mean, those are good. Um, see how much there is in this chapter? I mean, you can look. There's just lots of um, insight here. Yeah.
I know that Paul, referring back to this, um, let's look at it in a te- in a technically. The worst, if you want to say it, the worst sinner here was Adam because he did make a cold, calculated decision, I think. Paul even said, he said, Eve was deceived. Okay, now, to be honest, I really, I don't know that, the only way we can look today, in our day, at kind of stereotypical differences between men and women. Everybody's in a fallen state. I don't know what it looked like between, you know, male and female before sin wrecked everything. Clearly, we're fallen, and there are tendencies that we can not only inherit as by gender, but just what our temperament is, our personalities and so forth. Um, so, I, I, I don't know, Mac. Um, I don't think there would have been a deficiency there um, because God saw all that he made and says, very good. And again, we're only, we're only able to see things as we are in a fallen, infected, fouled up um, mess. So it's kind of hard, yeah. He did give Adam the additional command to guard and protect in the garden, which he also disobeyed at that point. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and again, here, here's, you want to really get in? We've got three minutes. You want to get really into some tall weeds that we'll never get out of? Um, there is a... Th- uh, there is a theology, and I think it's correct. <clears throat> um, there's a kind of theology that is called federal headship, meaning all of us were in Adam when he sinned. He was the representative of the entire coming human race. If the devil had not been able to get to Adam when he did, he would have been out of business. The devil would have been. He had to get to Adam because Adam was the fountainhead of the whole human race. Okay? So, um, whether Eve was more prone to being deceived, I you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I know that, again, I know Paul said she, uh, you know, Satan deceived her, and that would have been pre-fall because as a result of the, of the deceit, she fell. But she was really collateral damage, if you want to put it that way, to the devil. He had to get not to Eve, but to Adam. Once he got to Adam, and he had to get to Adam before they had any offspring, because of another theology uh, doctrine, and that is the doctrine of you know how is the how is soulness and the condition of the soul passed down to every generation. Um, we know that sin, the the um, spiritual personhood, comes through the man. 
That's why Jesus was born of a virgin. Avoiding depravity. So that's not a good commentary on the man. The fallen nature is conveyed to the next generation by the, by the man. Which is, again, why Jesus avoided natural reproduction. Came through Eve. Another obvious reason is he's eternal. So he had no beginning. But, but also, it was that he avoided depravity. Uh, therefore, it had no sinful nature. So, um, the whole aim all, all the time was Adam. If he had had a son, let's say, that son would have been born with an original primitive holiness, and then the devil would have had to get him to fall. So he had to get to Adam. He was under the clock. Yeah, what, what version is that, by the way? This is an NIV. Oh, well. <laughs> no, I, some say, um, <clears throat> now this is just person, just personal opinion, but I don't see any way, if they were with, obviously they were together, but I don't believe, personally, I simply can't believe that Adam would stand there as a mute and listen to Eve be, be deceived and not say anything. So I think that um, she already ate, brought it to him. He calculates she's already eaten, and God said, you eat, you die. So then I think he makes a calculated cold decision to choose to hang on to her in exchange for a relationship with God. And that happens a lot, both ways. Yeah? No, hey, that's another, Mike, this, that's another excellent question. I had a conversation with Dr. Richard Taylor um, decades ago, um, who is as conservative and, you know, careful as you can be. He speculated, okay, on that very same question, maybe two things. One, they had a level of knowledge at creation that we didn't have. We we don't have today and can't quite imagine. So it's possible that somehow the concept uh, or the ramifications of that statement, they understood. But second, he speculated that um, animals could have died and didn't have access to the tree of life so that if they had been there 
who knows how long, but enough, they would have seen even plants or whatever die so that there was some sense they had. Otherwise, it's a very good question. It has no meaning. This is why, for instance, if God spoke to us about, um, you know, save yourself from hell, but he gave us no description of hell whatsoever, it means it's, it's meaningless. But he told us there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and so forth. Why? So that it could give content to that word. I don't want to go there. So that, that's a good question. Okay, I see little heads going by the windows. Uh, so we better pray. Good, good questions. Appreciate them. Father in heaven, we're thankful for what you've told us. We know there's a lot we couldn't understand, even if you did tell us. But we're grateful that there's enough for us to understand who you are, what you're like, how you treat us, what our malady is, what are the disease of sin is, what you propose to do about it, and who is the source of it. So we're grateful, Lord, for everything you've given us to shine a light on our path. Go with us now and keep us safe, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you are dismissed.